Amen. Amen and good morning. Thank you so much for worship. Thank you, James and Rebecca and the whole band. Um, it is great to see you this morning on this third Sunday of the month. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to get to lead us through the scriptures this morning. We are in a series. Uh, I love this series. It's called Verses for Life. This is a series where we've been looking at key and, to me, pivotal scriptures throughout the Bible that really highlight some of the most important ways that we relate to God and live as we function here you know, walking with him in our lives. I mean, for me, every week, like I say, I write them down. I told you this last week, and I put them on these note cards. Here's my beat-up note card for this week's verse, and I just bring it with me wherever I go, and I try to commit it to memory. And we kind of are encouraging you to do that as you go through these verses. The art of committing the scriptures to memory is a really important part of our life. It spiritually just gives you fuel when you think sometimes you don't have it. And, and so I encourage you for today's verse, this is one of the verses you really want to have down. It's one of those verses that it gives us a foundation for how we can, I think, best live life in this world. It's from the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me. In, in chapter 9 of Proverbs, Solomon is kind of wrapping up his final thoughts on this first section of the book on the topic and idea of wisdom. And in chapter 9, he, he, to me, gives one of the, he gave a similar verse in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, if you look in chapter 1, but in chapter 9, he wraps it up by saying this. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that. It's a sometimes controversial and misunderstood verse, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, in verse 10, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the, the main thought of this verse brings up a, a pretty big topic or idea. It's the idea of fear. And I think it's something that we kind of obsess over and wrestle with in our culture. Right? On one hand, when you start thinking about fear, you think of all the, I think the ways that in our culture and society, the way we live nowadays, we've tried to incubate or you want to see where we're afraid of things, look at where we look for safety. You know, look around us at, essentially, this is what civilization is all about in some sense. People have gathered together to build up cities and places together where we avoid things we fear, right? Think of the civilization around us. Because of that, we've taken out a lot of nature, and we take out animals from our midst. We, um, we build up militaries for safety. We, uh, you look all around us. We've got trillions of laws and rules that govern us to keep us safe and protected. And that's good on one hand, but on the other hand, we also take it to the extreme, right? In our culture today, there are a ton of words and ideas you can't talk about or say because people are afraid. There are safe spaces. Um, think about all the security you have in your life. Think of everything you have has a password, probably has double authentication. It is like you got to know your mother. you got to know 18 different security questions to get into your account you know, for emails that you haven't accessed in years. It's like we have, you go through an airport, you've got to take off all your clothing, you've got to take everything out of your bag, and it's understandable, right? Because there's a lot of bad things that have happened, and because of that, we're afraid. You, uh, you look at things like, like the fact that a third of Americans are dealing with a major form of anxiety in their lives, and you see, we really wrestle with fear. Anxiety is just kind of a long-term version of fear. 
right, where you are focused and hypersensitive to a certain idea or topic, and it's, that's what you're focused on. That's what gets you going. And, and you look at the way we deal with fear in our culture and society, we obsess about it. We worry about it. We t- you turn on the news, and it's all the things you should fear. The sky is falling, and the world is falling apart around us, and it's focused on fear. And so you kind of have this, for me at least, a negative taste or resp- response to fear. It's like fear is something we look at and we go, oh, this is horrible. But you kind of also notice this. We also love things we're afraid of. (laughs) It's kind of this weird dichotomy about us. On one hand, we hate fear. On the other hand, man, we love theme parks. You know, we love exciting. Long before people dressed up as weird characters and went to theme parks to play, you know, fantasy stuff, they went to theme parks because they wanted to get on roller coaster rides and be scared to death, right? You go, you ride around, you get whiplash, you get off and you go, oh, I want to go on it again. It's like this, this, this place where you could escape and you could be scared. I mean, think of all the obsession we have with things like you know, extreme sports. We've got the X Games and we've got people on TV. And even if you don't want to do it yourself, you can't help but watch these people who do crazy, de- you know, they're jumping off cliffs and diving. They're jumping off bridges with bungee cords, you know, rubber bands strapped to their feet. They're jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. It's like you go on down the list and it's like we love things that scare us and make us afraid. It's, it's this, this aspect. I mean, even this time of the year, whether you celebrate Halloween or not, I mean, what does Halloween this time of the year draw you towards? People dressing up spooky ways, you know, scaring each other, watching scary movies. It's like that's the type of thing that we as a culture or as people are, are kind of drawn to. Yet at the same time, we're totally afraid of fear. <laughs> you know, we try to avoid it. And so we've got this mixture in our views of fear, this way that we look at it where we're like, huh, you come to a verse like this where it says the fear of the Lord And if you're like me, you kind of go, what am I supposed to think of that? Am I supposed to be like in terror of God like a little kid when you turn out the lights? Or am I supposed to look at it in a positive way? It's it's like, and, and then you couple this, and I was talking with a friend this week, and he brought this up, and it was a great point. He goes, how am I supposed to view that in light of how I view Jesus in the New Testament? It's like, you fear of the Lord is a very, a very, very big topic throughout the scriptures. It's mentioned 14 times throughout the book of Proverbs. It's mentioned 135 times throughout the Bible. It's it's huge. It's all throughout the scriptures. But then you kind of come to this New Testament view of of Jesus, and you're like, wow. Like as we looked at last week in our verse, Mark 10, 45, Jesus came to serve us and to lay down his life for us. Jesus calls us his friend, the friend of God. It's like all of a sudden we come to this New Testament view where it's like, I don't know, fear seems to be replaced by peace and by grace and love. And how do we reconcile fearing God and being afraid of him with the same God who wants us to feel like we're his friend, like we're close to him? Like I once had a pastor when I was growing up, and I remember his message, and he said, he said we're not supposed to fear God at all. Because in the New Testament, it tells us that there's no fear in love, and perfect love casts out all fear. So if there's God, there's love, and there's no fear. And I was like, wait a minute. I remember this growing up because people would always say, you need the fear of God in you. I think they were talking to me when I was being bad. And it was like they were trying to guilt me into fearing God. And it was like, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to fear God? It's brought up all throughout the scriptures. It's one of the most predominant thoughts and and concepts in the Bible. Yet at the same time, how are we supposed to be close with God and enjoy him personally with Jesus? And 
And so you come to this, this idea here in the Old Testament, brought up tons of times, the fear of the Lord. And you kind of go, well, what does that mean? What does, that, does it just mean I'm supposed to respect him? Well, no, because there's a lot of words it could have used, but it chose to use in, in the scriptures the word fear. God wanted that word used. And I think the best way to kind of untangle all this is to get to the bottom of what fear really does to us. If you think about fear, beyond the, you know, the, the Webster's, or, you know, the dictionary uh, definition of this is that fear is an emotional response to a danger or threat. And that's true. It's a response you have to a danger or threat. But think about that actual response. Think about what fear does to you. Isn't it true that when you become afraid of something, a few things start to happen and change in your body? It's not just this moment of terror in your brain. It's this physical thing that happens as well. I mean, for me, I'll give you an example. For me, a few weeks ago, I was out walking in the morning, and, and I like to go out and, and walk before my day begins sometimes. And it was pretty early. The sun wasn't up yet. And so it was that kind of real early time. Not a lot of cars on the road. And I was walking through Lake Forest, where I live. And, and as I'm going across the street or going down the sidewalk, out in front of me, out of this like, little wooded area, comes a coyote. Coyote jets out in front of me, and we've all seen coyotes if you've grown up or know the area. It's like they're out there, and they're these, you know, they just eat your chihuahua or your cat, and it's like they're a nuisance, right? And, and they're usually pretty small and pretty scary, but this one was bigger. This was like the, you know, big daddy coyote comes out in front of me, and it sprints across the street, but, well, as it's running across in front of me, it stops in the middle of the street, and it turns, and it faces me, and it kind of hunches over, Right? And I was like, whoa. Now my brain, I'm like, dumb coyote. These things are, you know, like, varmin, get out of here. You're like the rats of the canine family. Like, get out of here, coyote. You know, in my brain, I'm thinking that. But in my body, and you've known this when you've started to get scared, in my body, something else is happening. I like, I start to tense up, right? You know this. You've been scared before. You tense up. The hair on the back of my neck goes up. Like, my arms, it's tingling, right? And, and, and you know this because all of a sudden, you can feel this, this rush of chemicals that your body releases. Cortisol and adrenaline comes into your system. And I take out, immediately, I take out my, I was, as I was walking, I was praying and talking to God and singing music, you know, doing 50 things at one time. I take off my ear pods, and I can't think of anything else. They've actually found that when you're afraid, your brain starts shutting down auxiliary functions in it so that you can't be doing 50 different things. Your brain is focused on one thing and one thing alone, and it's that coyote. And as this thing kind of starts, it doesn't growl, but it snarls at me. I'm like, oh, man, my body tenses up. My eyes are locked in. I can't think of anything else in this world. You can feel your heart rate, right? You ever been watching a scary movie, and all of a sudden you feel like your heart's just beating in your chest, and it's just thumping? Well, that's your, your heart rate goes up. Why? Because it's getting your body ready for that fight-or-flight mentality, the psychologists call it, you will fight, flight, or, or freeze. <laughs> One of those three you're going to do. And it's like your body is getting ready. More blood is being pumped to your muscles and oxygen is being circulated so that you can do something. And if you think about fear in that sense, one of the great aspects of fear in our life in a healthy way is that it gets you ready and focused and locked in on as if that's the only thing in the world, that threat in front of you. It's like you now have a greater priority, an ultimate view. This is it. This is all I can think of. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm like, this is this coyote. It's, I'm either going to 
throw these rocks at it. I'm going to hit it with a stick. I'm going to pet it. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do, right? It's like one of these things. Or I'm just going to freeze because I'm so locked in. And that's what happens when people freeze in these types of situations. You are so locked in that everything else in your brain shuts down. And this is all you can focus on and think about. Now, for me, I mean, or for the coyote, he got lucky because a car came not me, but um, a car came around the corner, and the coyote jetted off, and I'm like, whew, but I realized something else happened, right, and you'll probably notice this about things you've been afraid of, or things you've gone through that, where you encountered things you fear, is that the moment that situation, that encounter, kind of goes on, you have this giant release in your body of like, whew, right, I mean, you see a lot of people, they shake their hands, It's like maybe you've been afraid of something, you go through it, maybe you do something that you've been afraid of or encounter something, and it's like you now have this feeling inside where you're like, whoa. I I describe it as feeling alive. You're like, whoa, I've got this adrenaline that's been released. I'm now seeing things. I I finished my walk, and I was like, faster. I even started running. It was like, whoa. You know, like it it just gets you that way. I remember this one time with my, my daughter, we were at Disneyland, my family and I, probably five or six years ago. She was about five years old. And my daughter, um, I, I was standing next to her, and I saw the, it used to be called the Tower of Terror in downtown Disney. I think it's called Guardians of the Galaxy right now or something like that. And it's this giant tower that goes up high, I don't know, 20, 30 stories high, however high. And, you know, this thing goes up, and you go up and down on kind of like this elevator, and it's really scary. And I was sitting there, and I looked at my son. I'm like, you want to go on this ride? And he's like, never. And so my wife goes, hey, why don't you see if you can go on this ride and I'll, um, and I'll watch Connor. And my daughter, Scarlett, she's like five. And she goes, I want to go on it, Daddy. And I'm like, okay, let's see if you can get on it. We taught her in the beginning of the day that, you know, we put her hair up in a, ha- a really t- tall po- ponytail. And we taught her that you just always stand on your tippy toes whenever you get up to the front of the line. And, and you know, they measure your height. And so she's got the, the drill down. So we get in line. And she's like five years old, weighs like 30 pounds. There's no way this kid should get on this ride. But there is not not much of a line. So we get in line, we get to the front, and the guy must not have been paying attention because she gets up there with her ponytail and on her tippy toes, and he goes, okay, go on. And I'm like, yes, my little five-year-old daughter is going to go on this huge ride. And I I can't tell you how many death stares I got from moms who were looking at me like, you're going to bring this little kid on this ride. You are ridiculous. And so we get there, and and we finally get to the front of the line, and... um, and we get on this ride, and they buckle her in. And I mean, it's almost a joke. It's comical to think that they're buckling this little 30-pound 30 30 kid into this ride. Like, she's not going to stay in any restraint system that they give her. And we start going up, and she looks at me, and she goes, Daddy, this ride goes up high? And she had no idea about the ride that she was going on. She just thought it was like another Dumbo ride, you know, or something like that. And I go, yes, sweetie, this ride goes up really high. And she goes, really? And she starts getting scared. And so she's getting real scared, and she doesn't know, and I didn't really realize this either. You get to the top, and then these doors, you're like 20 stories high, and these doors open up, and you look out over all of Disneyland, and then you just drop. And when we got to the top and those doors opened, Scarlet screamed the loudest blood-curling scream I've ever heard. You know you know the good screams of like joy and fear, you know, those kind of mixed screams. It was not one of those screams. It was like... <laughs> The poorest little five-year-old girl scream in the world. And she's like, no! 
and she's screaming her head off, and then this thing just drops, and as it drops, she starts floating up, and she's like floating next to me, and I grab her, and I'm like, oh no, and the people next to us are grabbing her, like she is fully out of the restraints, floating, and then it goes down, and it comes back up, and it goes down again, and back up, and so we're like grabbing her, and holding on to her, she's scratching and clawing at me, I had all these claw marks on my body, and the poor thing, we got down, and the whole time she was screaming, and she was crying, and then we got down. And she's shaking. And she's like, you know how you feel after you do something scary. And she's shaking and she looks at me and just, not in a normal five-year-old volume, at like volume 100, she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, let's do it again! And she couldn't control it. She was like so excited. I was like, you did not just enjoy that. That was like, you were about to die. How do you want to do this again? And we go out and we're talking to my wife and my son and she's screaming, yelling at him because she can't control the volume of her voice because she's just so overwhelmed with adrenaline and like emotion. And she's like, that was the most amazing thing. And she's like yelling. And I I think of that when I kind of think of what fear in a good way can do to us. It's like, yeah, it makes us alert to something where that is our main focus. But after you go through something you fear, you're, there's a sense of afterwards, and I mean, that's a, that's a roller coaster, but I mean, you, you look at people who have been through really tragic situations, or really hard times, things they really feared and dreaded, but they got through it, and it's like, you know what, there's this sense afterwards where you're like, whoa, I'm alive. There's color and vibrancy to life. There's more to it than just, it, it put things in perspective. It made me, you know, gave me that shot of adrenaline of feeling alive. And it's like, there are things that fear does to us that aren't just negative. And in a sense, I think that when you come to the scriptures and you're looking at what the fear of the Lord is, when you're coming to this idea, it's like, hey, you know, let's set aside all of our emotional reactions to fear for a moment and just look at it in a basic sense. Fear kind of awakens you to an ultimate reality. Fear kind of, as you hone in, as you, you feel that dread, as you feel that terror, as you're, as you're locked into that moment, it's like fear makes you focus on something and everything else fades away into the background. And at the same time, because of that, because of what goes on, fear afterwards, you feel this sense of, whew, I'm alive. Whew. Now, bringing that thought and that idea over here to this statement, Solomon says, Solomon, as he's talking, he says, listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is so This is so key, and we'll get into wisdom in just a moment, but he goes, this is so key. You have to understand, this is vital. It's mentioned all throughout the scriptures. It is is here that you start when you begin to find wisdom, and he's going, look, you need to learn to be afraid of God. It's the ideas that kind of go along with this are the ideas of reverence and awe and wonder. And why do we also use those words here interchangeably? It's not the same but they're used, you know, often when you'll hear people to describe fearing God, they use words like that. Why? Because almost all of those responses function along the same lines. It's like, think of something you're in awe of. Think of something that brings wonder to your mind. When you see that, when you're out there and you're looking at the sunset or you're, you're doing whatever it is, it's like you look at that and nothing else matters. You're like, whoa, this is all I can focus on. This is my reality. This is something that evokes in me a response that says, there's got to be something behind this. This is great. This is grand. This is, whoa. And it also makes you feel alive. You're like, whoa, it gives me a whole new perspective for looking at things. I mean, 
I think uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go down to Nicaragua on a little missions trip. And Pastor Nate and I went down to bring some supplies that you guys as a church donated and put together for a church down there. And so for Calvary Chapel Managua, we brought tons of stuff down. And we also taught messages, and I taught messages, and Nate did some worship. But on our final day, our missionary that we were meeting down there, Cal Stubner, Cal said, hey, do you guys want to do something really cool today? You guys got a free afternoon. I was like, sure, let's go. And he goes, I want to take you guys volcano boarding. I was like, I have no idea what that is, but I'm in. That sounds like the coolest thing in the world, volcano boarding. I didn't ask much about it, but it's pretty crazy because, you know, I found, well, I'll describe it. As we go through the, the, the Nicaraguan countryside, it was one of the most beautiful, serene experiences, like animals everywhere and, and birds and just crazy, beautiful greenery. It's like this beautiful Central American jungle that you're going through and you get to this volcano kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And this volcano was, it was pure black. This, this cone volcano that had risen up, it was pure black as night. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. This just black mountain that go, rises up into the sky. And I felt like I was in some kind of movie, like Lord of the Rings or something like that. Like there should be an eye on top just looking at everyone. But it's like, here, here I am out in the middle of the greenery and life of the world. And you get to these pure black lava fields that lead up to this mountain that you're going to climb, this volcanic mountain. And, and as I'm climbing this mountain, it felt like I was in a different world. And when this guide leads us up to the top of the mountain, and he says something to, to Cal in Spanish before we got to the edge where we were supposed to go down. And Cal looks over at me and he goes, hey, do you want to go into the cone of this volcano? And I was like, what? A cone of a volcano? Cool. Sure. I want to go into the cone of a volcano. And as we're walking down into the cone of this volcano, Cal taps me on the shoulder. He goes, pretty awesome that we're going into an active volcano, don't you think? And I was like, What? He's like, yeah, this thing blew up like 30 years ago and killed hundreds of people. He's describing all this stuff to me. And I was like, holy cow, we're going into an active live volcano, like out here in the middle of nowhere following a guy that we just paid 20 bucks. You know, like he's not some professional. He's not wearing real clothes or he doesn't even have a shirt on, you know, like it's like, what are we doing here? There's no safety involved in this. And, And he goes, there's not active lava in here. And what we found is As you go into the cone of this volcano, it was one of the craziest experiences I've ever had. It felt like you were walking onto Mars. It was all red rock on the inside there and sulfur and steam coming out of vents everywhere around us. I go to put my hand down at one point and it burned the skin on my hand because like, you you just can't touch anything. You could feel the ground shaking underneath you. And eventually we, we climbed through this volcano and I don't know if it was the 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 crater of this volcano. I don't know if it was the fumes that I was smelling, all the sulfur or what, but I got to this point where we got out of this cone and I looked down over the bottom of the volcano, the, the edge of the volcano that led down, and it was one of the craziest views I've ever seen in my life. It was like I turn around and look behind me and there's like... Mars behind me where steam and lava and all this stuff is under the surface but I look out ahead of me and it's like there is the beauty of the Nicaraguan countryside greenery and then the ocean and then all along the way other volcanoes with steam coming out of them it was just wild and I sat down and I was like oh my gosh it evoked a response and you've probably had these types of situations maybe not at the edge of a volcano but Maybe you stared out at the ocean. Maybe you've looked up into the stars at night. Maybe you've, whatever it is, but that response where you're sitting there and you're going, holy cow, God. Whoa. You don't have words to describe it. You don't have feelings or emotions that adequately you can put to it. It's like you realize in that moment how insignificantly small you are. 
Right? As you look around at nature sometimes, as you look around at the things that are going on in this world, it's like, who, you have that sense, who am I, Lord? What in the world am I compared to you? For all the wonders that I see, for all the beauty, for all the... And you go on down the list, it's like, you look at the sand on the sea, you look at the moon, you know, reflecting off the ocean that almost goes on forever, you look at a sunset, it's like... And in all that, you sit there and you go, whoa, Lord... I'm drawn to focus on you and you alone. I'm drawn to this understanding where I can't describe things. I can't perfectly pontificate things. I can't, I can't often just give you a theological definition of God and theological descriptions from the Bible of everything about him, but I can tell you that you've felt it and you've seen it as you stood there and you've looked at creation and you've glimpsed into what God has done and how God has reflected himself back towards us. And in those moments, it's evoked that that response that God is talking about here, that wonder, that awe, that reverence, where you're saying, you know what, Lord? Whoa. You and you alone are mighty and amazing and creative and wondrous. You and you alone, as I look at my kids learn to walk for the first time, it's like, whoa, God, you did that. You and you alone, Lord, as I look at love and beauty and I look at all the things you've created in this world, whoa, it evokes this sense in me where now I come to God and I just go, and it works the same way that fear does, where I go, God, you are the absolute focus of it all. You are everything. And you are the one that, God, when I put my focus on you, holy cow, everything else now comes into view. Everything else now makes more sense. And this is, why, this is why Solomon says this. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. I love that. And he says knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Right? You see, as I begin to know and understand God, as I begin to fear and reverence Him, as I take that in and make Him what fear does to me, that, that soul focus, that that main objective, as I begin to see him behind those things, whoa, I begin to start to find the very ground for moving forward in what we call wisdom. Now, wisdom, wisdom is kind of all over the place for some people, I think. In our world, we kind of look at wisdom as people that figure things out, figure out how to live wise, you know, we would say, or they've got a lot of experience, so they know how to do things. But wisdom in the scriptures goes a bit beyond that. Right? It's not just this sense of I know how to do things or I have knowledge. Right? I'm a DIYer and I've got to go on YouTube and figure out how to do things or Google things. It's more than just knowledge. It's, and it's more than just practical application of knowledge. That's important. It's important to know how to do things right. But wisdom in the scriptures, and we could go on all day as we talk about this, but especially in the Proverbs, wisdom is looked at as something that is It's practical in nature and the skills and decisions you make in this world, which is God's world, but it's also in doing things God's way. I think we kind of shortchange wisdom sometimes. We think wisdom is just figuring out how to do things in a good way. But no, the scriptures are are, are clear on this. It's figuring out how to do things in God's way, right? There are things that this world is going to tell us, and there are things you're going to figure out in this world that will get you ahead in this world, that will gain you more success, that will gain you more followers, that will gain you more likes, that will make you a more popular or important or you know, respected person. But that might not be what God wants for you. 
That might not be in the, the perspective and scale of God's wisdom in the way that he does things what is best for our lives. Uh, for instance, Jesus once told a story as he was kind of dealing with this cop, uh, topic over in, in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus goes, he's talking to the disciples and they were looking at covetousness and things that they thought would get them ahead. Jesus goes, hey boys, there was once a rich man and this rich man had a really successful field. It was producing tons of crops, and, and he said to himself, what am I going to do with all my, my crops and surplus? He said, I know. I'll build up barns for myself so I can store it all. And so he built up bigger barns, and he stored all his goods. And then it says that this rich man figured out, you know, he figured out a way to be successful and to hold on to that wealth for future. He looked at himself, and he said, be at rest, my soul. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? Jesus is describing a guy, especially in their culture, but I think it'd be the same in our culture, who looked at the pinnacle of, of a wise life as someone who figured out how to make money, get ahead, and then just spend the rest of their life enjoying that. That's kind of the way that we look at a successful life, isn't it? Getting ahead in life, making money, getting financially stable, getting things under our feet, and then just enjoying the fruits of our labor. Most people are living this way in the world. And Jesus points out this guy, this rich man, who many people would look at in their culture and society and be like, that's the way it should be. That's wisdom. That's the best way to live life. But he says to him, and he flips it over at the end, he says, at that time, God came to him and said, you fool. Let me go to my notes here. You fool. For this night, your soul is required of you. And whose are all these things going to be tomorrow? And Jesus says, so is he that lays up treasure on earth, and is not rich toward God. He goes, don't you understand? You missed something. Yes, there's a certain way you can get ahead, and there's practical wisdom in this world that will get you ahead of everyone else, but, but if that's all you take wisdom for, if that's all you think life is about, then you're missing the most important thing. He goes, you don't fear God. You don't fear the Lord in a sense that you want to know what he wants you to do. And this guy, as Jesus is illustrating this, as we kind of look forward, I know it's not our text today, but as we look forward, it's, like, it's such an illustration of wisdom to me because it's like wisdom in a real way says, you know what, God, what's the best way that I can live life according to you? What's the best way I can do things according to the way you want me to live? Not everyone else. And Solomon would say, look, if you want wisdom, if you want to find that answer, it starts with fearing the Lord. It starts with a base that says, you know what, Lord? You are everything. You are the focus. You are the, the ultimate reality. And I am going to put my eyes on you when I look at my life. You see, so much of the, the way we live life is, is kind of lived in fear of all the other things around us, right? We turn on the news and we see about the wars going on. We see terrorists threatening us. We see this, that, or the other. You see your bills mounting up. You see the problems that you face. And it's like, oh, fear. And so much of our lives we spend just focusing on those things. Well, what happens if the kids go here? What happens if we don't make it? What happens if we move here and that, there? And it's like we live in these fears and we go through day after day after day and we're going, oh man, Lord, it's like fear is driving us to make the decisions that we make. Fear is driving us to, to focus on these other realities and God is saying, listen, I should be the ultimate thing that you fear in your life. If you want to know where your time should be spent, where your worries should be placed, where your focus should be, 
then ask yourself, do I spend more time fearing everything else around me than I do God? Do I spend more time turning on the TV and wondering about the elections and wondering about this and wondering about that? Look, it's great to be informed. I'm not saying be an idiot and just live on a mountain somewhere in a cave and just you know, live in the dark, but in some sense, if you're informed and that's how you move forward in the world based on what the news is telling you, based on what your neighbors are doing, based on what you're seeing on social media, then you're operating by the wrong sense of fear in this world. A fear of the Lord says, you know what, Lord? I might see everybody freaking out over this. You know what, Lord? I might have this overwhelming thing in my life. But I now have a base for wisdom and how I should be acting in this world. That's much different than what everyone else has. I have a base for living in this life that says, you know what, Lord? I don't have to be afraid of those things. I don't have to order my wisdom in the way that I'm, I'm going to decide on what I do based on all the fears and worries and things out there. I'm going to base that fear that I'm going to feel in my life on a reverence and awe, on an absolute humility that I have before who you are. And when we can begin to kind of get to that point in our lives, he says, this is the beginning of wisdom. It's like wisdom in our life is this endeavor that we're going to have to know God, to understand God, to walk and keep our eyes and our focus and our attention on God. And from that, you'll figure out all the right ways to live life. You really will. But if we switch that around, and we let life be the focus of our fears, then man, we're going to miss it with God too. And Solomon lays out this real foundation for how we're going to move forward in life, how you're going to live a good life according to what God wants. And he says it starts with fearing the Lord and understanding and knowing him. So you have to ask yourself, you know, am I in wonder as I look around me? Am I in awe at the things that I see? As I look around at this world, am I, am I giving credit to God? Or am I just looking at life and just kind of going through the motions? Is it just about me? Right? You see, that, that fear of the Lord causes us to, to move forward without moving out on the wrong base. It's right, Psalm 14 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? And it's not just saying that foolish people say there's no God. It's like, yeah, that's, that's obvious. But he's talking about the way they live life and they move forward. It's like foolish people... They might look like they have it all together. They might look like they're doing it right, but at the end of the day, they've moved out on the wrong, you know, they've stood on the wrong foundation. And at the end of the day, foolish people have said there's no God, haven't recognized that God is there in the midst, behind, and among everything that we're doing. And when you can recognize that, you can now move forward in wisdom. You can now move forward in the right way. And Solomon is saying, look, this is so important because not only... Does it give us a foundation for, uh, for living and for wisdom? But I think it gives us a life that's more alive. Like I said, sometimes it's hard to balance out that New Testament idea of a God of grace and, and mercy and forgiveness and then this fearing God. But if you understand it right, if you really get what he's saying about having this reverence, this awe, this wonder of God, you know that all of a sudden now when I look at Jesus and what he's done for me, when I look at the God of love and grace and passion and, 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 and just who has given his life, as we talked about last weekend, who has given his very life for me, it draws out a greater, I don't know, a greater feeling of, of, of amazement and wonder at what God would do for us. 
a greater sense of respect and honor and reverence for him. It's like the, the very God who created the beautiful sunsets that you enjoy, the very God who created that starry sky that you're in wonder of, the very God who created the volcanoes and the animals and the what, go on through everything that you love and that you see beauty in. It's like that very God looked at you and he said, you know what, you are so very dear and important to me that I would give my life for you. How much more wonder and awe and reverence does it draw out of us towards Jesus? How much more love and compassion do we have towards others because we see that in God? And I think that this very topic, this very understanding, I think some people have gotten it wrong because in some sense they're just telling you, be afraid of God like a little kid in the dark. But in some sense, I think you need to understand what happens with fear is fear makes us focus on the ultimate reality and it also makes us feel more alive than ever. Because when I fear God, when I have reverence for God, it's like suddenly now in my walk with God, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to focus on the wrong things. I don't want to, I don't want to take gathering together as a church as unimportant. Hearing about the Lord and the scriptures is something meaningless. It's like all of this now has a greater sense of life to it, Right? of value, of color, of depth. I'm not just going to stand here and worship and cross my arms and be like, well, I don't like that song. They're not singing in, in you know, a way I like. It's like, it's like no, this, this sense of reverence and awe and wonder is drawn out of us where we go, you know what, Lord? Oh, man, you're so worth it. I want to sing to you. Oh, man, you're so worth it, Lord. I, I, I want to I be on time for you. I want to give to you. I want to serve to you. It's like all of a sudden now, and maybe you've found your walk with God has been kind of lacking or dead or you feel kind of dry. Well, come back to this. Come back to the realization that, man, our God is a God to be feared. He is wonderful. He is powerful. He is awesome. And he is mighty. You don't need to look any further than, than, the, than the things that we, you know, this morning, for instance, I walked out, walked out on the back patio here. We have to get here nice and early, us pastors and, and everybody that sets up church here. And it was, I don't know, 6.30 or so, and the sun was rising. And it was the most beautiful sunrise. It was amazing. I mean, people go out to Vegas and pay $1,000 to see you two in that sphere, you know, out there. And the, the whole screen behind them is like these sunrises that they think are so amazing. And it's like, here I am walking out for free at our own church, walking out on the back patio, saving 1000 bucks and not having to be in Vegas. And I'm watching the same wonderful thing that people are clamoring over. It's like, this is available to all of us. The ability and capacity to look around at life and just go, whoa, Lord. You are there. But if your eyes are on yourself, if your eyes are fearing all the problems around you, then you're never going to see the God who is in our midst, the God who is reflecting himself in nature all around us. And it, to me, I always grew up thinking this was a negative thing because people are like, you need to fear God. It's like, no, this is a great thing for our lives. I do need to fear God. We all need to fear God. But... It brings this color and vibrance and life to our relationship with the Lord. It brings this hope and meaning to the, to the things that we're facing. It's like, you know what? I can feel overwhelmed because I know my God is bigger than that. 
You know what? I could feel pressured and beat down, but I know my God stands with me and he's more powerful than any volcano or more creative than, you know, as I look at the animal kingdom than any animal around me. It's like my God can take care of everything. And now you have a real foundation to move forward in wisdom as you live life, to live life the best way possible. So as Solomon slows us down here, kind of sums up this first section on wisdom in his book, he says, look, I want you to understand this. This is where it all starts. Don't forget, it's about fearing God. It's about having that reverence and awe and wonder of him. And when you have that, it comes alive. Your walk with God, your relationship with him, the decisions you make, the way you live life. When you don't have that, man, it's all meaningless. It's all pointless. You come to church and you're just going through the motions. When you don't have that, you pray and you just are like, oh man, it's not, it's not doing anything. When you don't have that, it's like everything kind of just falls short. He says, look, this is where, this is where life comes alive. When you learn to look at God this way, when you learn to see him, and you learn to recognize he's the one we should always be in wonder and awe of because it's all a reflection of his goodness and glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so very much that you are a wonderfully creative, amazing, awe-striking God. And there is so much that we don't deserve that we have going on for us that, God, if we even really understood or grasped, we would be speechless. Help us in our lives to grasp that. Help us to understand how amazing you are, how wondrous you are, how truly great you are, Lord. To understand a God that loves us so very much, who would give his only begotten son for us is, is amazing. Help us to never take that fact and that reality for granted. Help us to be people that live in a reality where you are our ultimate focus. You are our ultimate priority. And you are bringing life and vibrancy to everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to